Hey, hey, welcome back to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Today, we're going to talk to a hairstylist turned attorney about protecting your beauty business. And we are going to get into some really juicy and relevant topics. So this is not an episode that you want to miss. Rihanna Green, who is my guest, is a hairstylist turned attorney, and since she finished law school, she has devoted her career to helping beauty entrepreneurs and service providers protect their business assets. In this episode, Rihanna is going all in on contracts and consents, as well as giving actionable advice that you can apply to your business today. Two of the key and major takeaways from today's episode are how to make sure that your cancellation policy is actually legit and enforceable. Now, this isn't hard, but you may be skipping this key step. And also how to make sure that your insurance is actually covering everything that you think it is. This episode taught me a lot about protecting my time and my money as a hairstylist. And I wish I would have heard it while I was behind the chair. Whether you're a salon owner, a beauty entrepreneur, a sweet stylist, or a hairstylist in general, you do not want to miss this episode. So without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Here we talk about creating a career you love. We go deep into mindset, marketing, business, and life as a hairstylist. I'm your host, Jody Brown, a hairstylist veteran turned branding and marketing mentor for ambitious, inspired beauty pros like you. On this podcast, we share the real stories of leaders within the beauty industry and actionable trainings that leave you with the tools and guidance that will inspire you to build your best life as a hairstylist. From branding, business, and marketing to mindset, life, and finding fulfillment, no topic is off limits here. Get ready to be educated and inspired. This is the Hairstylist Rising Podcast. Hi, Rihanna. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, I am so excited to be here. It's going to be some good info today. I know it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a topic that I don't say this very often, but this is a topic that we have never, ever talked about on the Hairstylist Rising podcast before. So I'm really excited to hear your take because this is something that I bet a lot of my listeners have never even thought about. Before we get started, can you just introduce yourself and share a little bit about your journey and how you got into what you're doing today? Sure. So my name is Rihanna Green. I am a hairstylist turned attorney. It's funny, I actually still have my license. I've been licensed since 16 as a manicurist and 17 as a Cosmo. So I will never give it away because discounts, hello, like I love my professional discount. Yeah. So I started off as a beauty professional. I was doing cosmetology school simultaneously while I was in high school. I graduated, went into beauty, and then also was taking college classes and doing that whole thing. I eventually ended up going to law school, still was doing hair all throughout law school. When I was studying for the bar and waiting on bar results to be a licensed attorney, I was still doing hair. And then finally, once I got licensed, I kind of, you know, hung up my apron, if you will, and went and did like traditional law. And it really wasn't until I was at a big insurance company doing insurance defense, where I started seeing a lot of salon and hairstylist cases. And my first one, yeah, my first one came to me and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It was a nail salon case. And I remember telling my supervisor, I was like, oh, you know what? This is really cool because I'm actually a licensed cosmetologist. So 
this is like right up my alley. And that was really all she wrote. After that, I started getting a lot of the salon cases because I knew it more intimately than other people, you know? And it was really then when I was like, man, all of these things that are happening, consent forms, contracts, even having business insurance or professional liability insurance was something that when I was a hairstylist, I was that hairstylist. I always say, you know, when I'm saying these things or when I'm kind of lecturing or telling you what you should be doing, it's not from a place of like, listen, this is what you should be doing because I know better. When I was a hairstylist, I wasn't doing it. And so that's why it's kind of like, I am so passionate about it because I was the hairstylist. It was like intake form. I don't need it. Come on. We'll talk about your hair history when you're sitting in my chair, you know, or consent form. It'll be okay. Like I'm a pro. I'm not going to mess up your hair or your hair is not going to break or no allergic reaction, whatever. And so it's just kind of all of that, my background knowledge, working in the insurance company, kind of seeing hairstylists actually get sued and salons get sued that I started my business. And so that's how I got here today. Wow. That is wild. Obviously, I never thought of it from seeing it from the other side. So seeing salons and stylists actually face legal action. That is crazy. And what's funny is that, you know, I I have lots of stylist friends. Like I've been in the industry for a long time. And even some of like my closest stylist friends are like, "Mm, people don't really get sued. And I'm like, yeah, actually they do. And I would have thought the same thing. Like I didn't really realize that, yeah, people are getting sued. Judgments are getting entered. Like people are losing stuff or, you know, just having to face all of the different things because they're not protected. But I have that same mentality too. I never knew anyone who got sued or like, yeah, a lawsuit, but like, I don't know any stylist that that's happened to. And I didn't, but I'm here to say on the other side of it, I have seen them cross my desk and it is happening, you know? Wow, that's so interesting. I'm so glad you shared that. I know there's kind of three major areas that you talk a lot about protecting your business as a beauty pro because I'd assume after after watching all of these things happen, did you look at some of those and 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 think, you know, these are preventable? Like this didn't have to go this go down this way? Well, on a lot of them, yes, but I think the scarier part about it is for the beauty professional who is paying into their insurance, right? Because some people, a lot of beauty pros are like, they understand the importance of insurance, liability insurance, all of that. So they're paying into it in case something happens. But the scary part about it is kind of the chain reaction when a claim goes in. So if somebody's like, hey, I want your insurance information and they file a claim with your insurance company for an allergic reaction or you know, a service gone wrong, whatever it is, the chain reaction that happens in the insurance company is it first is going to go to coverage and coverage is going to determine whether or not they can even cover you for this claim. Yeah, you've been paying into it, but do you qualify based off of how you are handling your everyday business stuff? And what I mean by that is contracts and consents. So they're going to want to know, okay, this person had an allergic reaction. Did you give them an intake form? Like, did you know that they were allergic to this particular chemical or this particular, you know, product that is in one of the products that you use for your service? Mm -hmm. Or did they understand, did you have them sign a consent form that says that they understand the risks involved, that there might be adverse reactions, et cetera. And then in addition to that, the other thing is some of your insurance policies require that you do a test strand. So did you do a test strand? Where is that at? So it's like 
a stylist, we're paying into it, right? We want the protection, but then we're kind of being lackadaisical or, you know, kind of a little not so hardcore on the intake forms and the consents. And then it goes to coverage and they're like, where's this stuff at? And you don't have it. And they're like, oops, sorry, claim denied. You're going to have to handle it yourself. Oh my God. I had insurance as an independent beauty pro, but I'll be honest, I don't remember reading through the paperwork that clearly or that thoroughly because I just kind of assumed, okay, if I'm paying insurance, I'm covered. But you're saying that it's actually not always the case. The fine print. So some of those insurance companies are going to require that you're doing a test strand or test lashes. You know, people have like these bad allergic reactions to lashes sometimes. Well, did they have a test strip done? And that's like, you know, a test strip, you'd have to do it once, have them wait a couple of days, come back. It's a little bit different than like a hair test strand, right? But they want those things done because they are insuring you and they want to know that you are actually being a, you know, reasonable and prudent is like the, is the, the words, a reasonable and prudent hairdresser, making sure that your client is going to not have any adverse reactions. So it's crazy because it's things that you said, we're not reading over that. We're like, Hey, I've got insurance. Yep. But it's so much more than that. Wow. Okay. So where, I guess like knowing that now, now that you've listened to that and heard, like, you know, you might not be quite as covered as you think you are. Where do you even start? Because I think as a stylist, and I'll I'll speak for myself here, and I'm sure that a few of my listeners can relate, the idea of getting into like the legalities and like all of that kind of thing when you've got so many other things on your plate as a stylist can feel really overwhelming, right? So what are the first kind of steps to getting there? Yeah. So, and I, I use this analogy in relation to protecting your business just in general, but you Car insurance is one of those things where we get it, we pay for it every month and you never use it and you never hope to use it, but you know, it's something that you have to have, right? Right. Because when you do end up getting in a car accident, you know, unfortunately you want to know that you're protected and you want to know that everything is really going to be taken care of and you're not going to lose your home because somebody got injured or you're not going to have to come out of pocket because someone got injured. And that really goes to a lot of ways that you can protect yourself in the beauty industry too. So like insurance, we talked about, that's one of them, but at the very basic level before or at the same time, I think it's really important that everyone gets some type of business entity, whether it's an LLC or a different type of, you know, quote unquote corporation, because that's really going to be your first line of defense. If something happens, you want to make sure that kind of like your car insurance, like the reason why you get car insurance is to protect yourself, to protect your money, to protect, you know, your livelihood and things like that. And that's what an LLC will do for your business in the same sense. It's going to protect your personal stuff, you know, your house, your home, your personal assets from the business assets. If something happens, like we talked about an adverse reaction or an allergic reaction or hair damage and that they, they, or an injury and they sue you for it, you're going to be protected if you have an LLC or other type of business entity. So that's kind of like the first line of defense, I would say. Okay. That makes sense. And then as far as, can I just rewind a little bit back to the insurance? What do you recommend that a a beauty pro do when they're dealing with their insurance company? Should you call and say, what kinds of contracts do we need to have in place? How do you double check that information? I would definitely make sure that you're working with an insurance company that understands your industry. And I, 
I think that goes for everything when it comes to any type of business, right? Whether it's hair or skin or some type of non-beauty business related business, you want to work with people who understand your specific industry. So if you're going with an insurance company that doesn't really do beauty professionals that often, then they might not even understand kind of all of the different protections that you need, right? They might give you a basic level something, but it doesn't cover maybe your permanent makeup or it doesn't cover some other type of service that you're doing. So having someone who really understands what you do in your business is key. Mm -hmm. And then having those checks and balances like, okay, so I have insurance. Is there anything that I need to do to remain in compliance so that if an issue arises, I'm covered? Is there certain consent forms or different types of forms before a service, during a service, after a service that I need to be doing in order to make sure that I'm covered? Are there certain procedures I have to do prior to doing a service? You know, questions like that, because they should be able to direct you to somewhere in your policy where it goes over this stuff, you know? So that's, that's one way communication, making sure that someone understands what it is that you do and how you need to be protected. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's, like you said, it's like any professional. So whether you're working with like an attorney, an accountant, like whatever that looks like, you're going to have a way better experience if they get our industry for sure. Absolutely. I've had some people come to me after going to different attorneys who do trademarks and they've had experiences where they're like, oh, you only need to be trademarked in this one area. And I'm like, yeah, I usually recommend like three to four different classes or categories for coverage. And that's just based off of my experience and what beauty professionals need protection in and kind of the general, what all beauty professionals do. It's not just, you know, it's not just hair, it's all kinds of different things. And there's different avenues of income and you need protection and all of that. And a regular trademark attorney who maybe works with a different type of business professional might not understand that or know that. So that makes a lot of sense. So speaking of trademarks, what is, what's the benefit of trademarking as a hairstylist or esthetician or salon owner? What does that do for you as far as like protecting your business? So trademarks are really the only way to have brand ownership. So LLCs, corporations, that's business ownership, right? Business protection. But trademarks are how you protect your brand, how the public sees you, how they relate your brand in relation to whatever services you provide or whatever goods you give. So at the most basic level, it gives you the exclusive ownership rights in your brand name, your brand logo, all of that stuff. So if you've got a catchphrase or if you teach a signature course or if you have signature services and everyone recognizes like, oh, I got, I don't know, a certain type of service done and it's got a unique name. And everyone's like, oh, you must have went to Jody for, for that service. You know, they automatically associate the service that you're giving with your brand. Then you want to protect that brand name. You want to protect that service so that a copy can't, copycat can't come along and start using the exact same name. And then next thing you know, somebody was like, oh yeah, you went to Jody for that? And they're like, oh no, I went to Samantha over here at such and such, right? And so, because that takes money out of your pocket, that also means if somebody went to Samantha and got the service that you're providing and maybe it was a bad service, then they're gonna be out here saying, oh, don't ever get that you know, signature service. It's horrible, even though Jody's service is actually a really good service. So- it helps with, you know, building your reputation. It helps with keeping money in your pocket. And it really helps with copycats because 
if there is big brand name recognition on your salon name or something, and somebody opens up a salon, a town over or a state over, they're really kind of riding your coattails, like the success of your coattails. You know what I mean? Yes, 100%. And that, as you were saying that, I was thinking about extension methods. That was the first thing that popped into my head because you're so right. Like when you associate a certain quality with a method or, you know, a, a signature service, then it would be so damaging for your brand if someone else is providing something, calling it the same thing. And it's, you know, not the quality that you are, that you're providing. That makes a lot of sense. So there's a couple things that have been coming up in the hair sales community in more so than, I think this has been a problem for a really long time, but more so than ever I'm noticing in the past couple years. And that is the issue of cancellations, cancellation policies, enforcement, what is a deposit? What is a, so can you speak on that a little bit? And is that something that needs to be like, like what are, how do we protect ourselves from cancellations? Does there need to be a contract in place? What is a sufficient contract? Can we talk through that a little bit? Sure. So I am big on contracts. Contracts are king. Like my favorite thing to say about contracts is how is your client going to be legally obligated? And those are like the buzzwords, legally obligated to pay your cancellation fee, your deposit fee, your no-show or late fee if you don't have a legally binding contract. Right. If you don't have a legally binding contract, this may sound harsh, but you just have suggestions, right? You are suggesting that they come on time. You are suggesting that they pay a deposit for your services. You're giving a lot of suggestions. But when it comes time to enforce them, and if you have policies in place, like the second part of that is enforcing your boundaries and enforcing your policies, you have to be able to actually do so, like put your money where your mouth is. If you're like, well, you didn't do this and I'm going to charge your card on file. Well, you better be sure that you are legally able to charge that card on file, right? right? So with that comes your contracts. And so you can do it a couple of different ways. I mean, I know that a lot of some of the booking sites and Vagaros and Gloss Genius and, you know, Acuity and some of those will have that pop-up box that will say, like, I understand there's a cancellation fee, et cetera, et cetera. Or it'll have like the terms that I understand that I've read these terms. And on that terms page, you kind of put all your policies in. That's one way to do it. But you want to make sure that there is some action that they are doing, like a checkbox saying that they are agreeing, that they are right. signing something. I'm kind of a little bit more old school. I like signatures. The checkboxes are cool, right. but I like a signature. And it doesn't have to be like a wet signature, meaning pen and paper. But I do like to have like an electronic signature and a clause in there that says, I understand that by signing this electronically, it has the same force and effect as if I was signing you know, on an original document, basically. Right. So then that way you're kind of protected. So they're like, well, it was an electronic signature. Yeah, but you just said that you understood, you know, and yeah. it has the same force and effect. So as far as that goes, once you have the contract in place or once you have them signing your policies, cancellation fees are okay. I would call, lots of states kind of get a little finicky about quote unquote deposits because if they put yeah. a deposit down on something and then didn't get their service. Is the deposit refundable? Are you calling it a non-refundable deposit? A reservation fee is a term that I like. They are reserving your time and they yeah. are, you know, so they're paying a reservation fee, which is 
you know, somatics as a deposit, right? But you're calling it a reservation fee. They're reserving time on your calendar. And then if they are no showing or cancellations, this one gets a little bit tricky too, to charge full price for the no show or full price for the actual cancellation. But you can do one, you can put in your contract what you are charging. And then two, I think as long as it's not like unconscionable, not 100% full price, you're pretty, you're pretty good on that. I like the idea of like a reservation fee because I feel like there's a certain mindset shift where it's like, you're not necessarily like this fee is not a deposit on service. It's like for my time. And if you don't, so I think that also would make sense, like from a client perspective, because they, they are acknowledging that they are reserving your time. And so if they don't give you sufficient notice, that time is still reserved for them. So I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I also think it's just kind of, common courtesy, like we make reservations all the time, right? And you see it happen just in life everywhere. If you're going to a fancy restaurant in Vegas, Vegas is packed, you know, they want sometimes a reservation fee. You're putting down money per person. If you don't show up, they're keeping that money because you were reserving a table. They were going to get a certain amount of money from your dining experience. And so you've got to reserve that time. So it's, it's the same thing. You see it everywhere. Reservations, deposits, all of that stuff. You can see it out in the regular world aside from just kind of the beauty realm. And so if they're doing it, we can definitely do it too. Yeah, totally. I love that. That's, that's really interesting. So as far as like protection then, and you know, like, is there like a certain order you go? So is it like LLC business insurance, then you trademark, like, how does that, how does that work in an actionable sense? Ooh, so this is a good one because I'm really big on trademarking first. And the reason for that is, I mean, LL, trademarks and LLCs kind of go hand in hand for me. So I don't like people to start building a brand and getting brand recognition on a name that they might not even be able to own. Because then what happens is you've put all this time and money into it. You've had the you know dopest graphic designer do a website or you know web design. You've had beautiful business cards made, you have bought your domain name, all of the different stuff that goes into building a brand. And then you go to trademark it and you realize you can't have it. And if you can't have it, that means you realize that usually you're infringing on somebody else's trademark, right? Right. So now you have to do a rebrand. Now you are forced to do a rebrand and that's expensive. So now you're spending the money twice one to brand the first time and another time to rebrand again. And so trademarks are usually something that people wait until they achieve like a certain status in their head or in their mind or, you know, whatever, where they determine, okay, now I need to trademark my brand, but it really should be done beforehand. It really should be one of your first steps. Now that's for brand protection, right? For business protection, your LLC is going to be the first thing you want to do as far as that goes. And those can go hand in hand. But your LLC is going to protect you, your personal stuff from your business stuff. And so you want that. And then business insurance gives you one more layer of protection so that before you can even come for the LLC money or the LLC assets, you're going to insurance first. But you want to make sure that you're protected from your business, you know, before you even get to anything else. So LLC, business insurance that way. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. I have a question regarding protecting your brand. So a lot of my students, listeners, like independent beauty pros are building a business on their own name. 
So what is that, what does that look like as far as like trademarking? Is that something you need to definitely do? Or is this more if you're building a brand outside of your own name? So it's interesting because um, your name gets a little, it, it, it kind of is like a, it depends type thing, which, you know, lawyer's favorite answer. But if I wanted to go trademark the name Kim Kardashian, right, she is a very famous person, I would have to have her consent in order to trademark that name because it's already associated in the minds of people with somebody. So in theory, I wouldn't be at one, she's already trademarked, right? But two, I would have to get that public figure's consent in order to trademark the name. But when we're talking about just individuals who are not necessarily of that notoriety, you know, then in theory, I could come along and trademark Jody Brown, right? Right. In theory, I would have to show that I'm using it, you know, it, in like goods and services or whatever. And would somebody really come along and do that? Probably not. But there is risk associated with that. On the other hand, another thing just to consider with brand building in general is if you ever want to license something or you ever want to allow franchising or something else associated with that, people are likely going to want you know, if, if I go to a really nice salon somewhere and I just love the concept and I'm like, I want to have one of these in Florida. I love your name. I love like the concept of it. I love your signature services. I'm probably going to be more inclined to do something that is not built off of somebody else's personal name, name or, you know, personal brand. I might do like, a, I don't know. I don't know. But basically I can't give an example right now. I can't think of it, but I am more likely to do something that is kind of more general or more not specific to one person. So as far as like licensing purposes and franchising purposes, it kind of is something to consider about doing something that's not necessarily tied to your personal name. Because for example, the Haley Page situation, do you, are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. Yes. That was crazy. Okay. So for our listeners, and this is an example in bridal realm, but it has the same effect, right? So for everyone who's listening, if you didn't follow, Haley Page is a wedding designer. She designs wedding dresses. Her brand was built off of her name, Haley Page. And she was working with JLM Couture, which is the business that she was working with at the time. They decided to split paths. She was an employee for them and they decided that they no longer wanted to have that working relationship. She was going to go off and do something else. Well, as part of her contract with them, she consented to letting them trademark her name. So, right, this goes into like the whole consent thing. They were able to trademark her name. They are actually the trademark owners of that name, Haley Page. So when they broke up, if you will, they said, that's fine, but you can't use your name in relation to wedding dress design. You can't use your name that you have on social media, which was, mind you, her name, right, that she was also using for personal stuff, but because it's associated with the brand, couldn't use it. And she was prevented from using it, I think, in relation to, like, other types of designs as well. So she essentially could not use her birth name at all. Like, easy, right? And so she had to, she had to... She's still fighting it now, but she was like, I have to think of a new brand. And just kind of how crazy is that, that you could lose the rights to your own name? So 
I guess for beauty pros, then it's like thinking about the scale, thinking about like if you're building a personal brand and it's something that you plan to either, you know, scale or build or whatever that looks like, then maybe your name is not the best choice for building that brand. Yeah. When it comes to trademarking and the getting the broadest protection for your assets, for your products, for your services, you want to come up with something that's unique, that really is when people think of it, they immediately think of you and your brand. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's like, like I, I, I see a lot of positives to a personal brand, but I definitely also see a lot of positives to having something that's like recognizable and outside of yourself. When I was doing my website and things like that, my branding girl, she hates my color that she would like to be referred to as my creative director, because I make her do all kinds of stuff. She does all kinds of stuff for me. <laughs> but the beginning, I was like, well, what my web girl, she said, and she's like, quit calling me that. So <laughs> if she's listening, my creative director is like, I really think you should go by Rihanna Green. Like, I want you to build your brand off of your name. And I was like, she trademarks is about, you know, the female entrepreneur, specifically in the beauty industry. I want it to be like the she. I want it to be like, yes, I'm she trademarks. Like I am the she that trademarks stuff. But yeah. you are also the she that's protecting your business and doing all that stuff. Yeah. And so kind of developing brand ideas and stuff, it's definitely something you've got to consider kind of, you yeah. know, which one you want to go with. Totally. There's a lot of pros and cons for both. For sure. And like from like a legal perspective, it's probably slightly different than like a marketing perspective versus what you want to do with your business. So that's such a good thing to consider and really think about the direction, right? That you're going to go in the future. And also if anyone's listening and thinking that is a lot of pressure for me to decide on that right now, you can pivot. Like it's not the end of the world. There is always the ability to pivot. If you are building, I think it's like building a personal brand at any point you can introduce your separate brand and vice versa. Yeah, for sure. And sub brands, it seems like, you know, yeah. Apple has, <laughs> you think about Apple, you've got iPhone, you've got I don't know. Isn't an iMac technically? All the different Apple products are Apple brand and they have sub brands, you know? So it definitely works for lots of people. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that we should know about protecting? I feel like we've covered so much today and I appreciate you coming on and advising and giving your really great actionable advice that people can apply. Is there anything else that's really vital for beauty professionals to know when it comes to protecting their business? We touched on contracts and consents, but I just kind of want to touch on it a little bit more just to give a couple of like tips and tricks. So we talked about, you know, making sure you get it signed or some actionable part on the client's part, agreeing to your policies. I see so often screenshots that are sent to clients or highlight reels on Instagram with policies. Mm -hmm. And it has to be, you got to be a little bit more firm and a little bit more kind of meticulous on your consents so that you can enforce them and that you have the protection, getting them signed once a year. They don't necessarily have to come sign them every time they come for your hair color extensions. Once a year is good. Just make sure that you're keeping up with that. I usually say have a new client sign it when they come and then start everybody fresh at the beginning of the year. That way, you know, That's all of your right. clients, you know, are on that new one year. And then making sure that you keep them for whatever the statute of limitations is in your state. It's usually two or three years, but just really making sure that you keep them. So if you only see a client one time, but then eight months later, they're like, I want to sue you for something that happened. You want to make sure that you still have that 
consent form on file. So just keep it until the duration is over of how long you need to have it. And those are kind of a couple of good tips and tricks on your contracts and consents. That's really good to know. Thank you so much for being here today. Where can my listeners go to find out more about you and get more educated on protecting themselves and their businesses? Instagram is where I do the most, you know, free content, tips, tricks, all things beauty legal related. So you can find me on Instagram at she trademarks. That's S H E and then trademarks. And then also my website, if you want to do one-on-one consulting, or if you want lawyer drafted contracts and consents, they're by niche. So if you are a hairstylist, esthetician, you know, whatever, you can find it on my website. And then also I'm really excited about my membership that just launched. It is bridging the gap between what is scary and expensive legal resources and finding a community that has the resources that you need, the education and all of that from someone who's been there, done that and kind of knows the way. So that's something that I'm really excited about. There's all kinds of templates. We do monthly trainings and there are bi-monthly or twice a month office hours where you can come and ask questions. And all of that's on my website too, shetrademarks.com. Amazing. Thank you again for being here and we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And thank you everybody for listening until next time. Thank you so much for listening in to another episode of the Hairstylist Rising podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Be sure to check out our show notes for all of the links mentioned in today's episode. And if you want to get in touch with me and let me know what you're thinking, what you'd like to see on the podcast, or just share your favorite episode, send me a DM over on Instagram, either at Hairstylist Rising or at It's Jody Brown. I am so excited to see you back here, same place, same time next week. And until then, I am Jody Brown. I am your host and I'm signing off now. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we'll see you next week.